And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, May 4th, 2021, and I have my good friend, Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How are you doing today, Pam? I'm doing quite well, but I'm looking outside my window, and it does not look very inviting. It looks like we're about to have a storm, so... I think it's good I'm inside. I was just looking at um, the weather, and I don't think it's supposed to rain, but it definitely looks like it's going to rain. So if if you want to know if it's going to rain, look out the window, right? Don't look at the weather. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I believe. <laughs> so uh, things were kind of stable when we talked last week. Uh, what's What's happened since last week as it relates to COVID patients? Well, I wish it was still stable, but like... Uh, everything changes every single week, and this week is not as good a news. Last week, we had 26 patients with five on vents and two awaiting results, and this week, we're at 35 patients with seven on vents and four awaiting results. Last week, we had 176 deaths. This week, we've had 177 deaths, so only one additional death, which was better than the week before, but a lot more people sick and on vents, which is um, not good news. DuPage County went from 88,158 positive patients to 89,180, and the deaths, they went from 1,343 to 1,353, so 10 additional deaths in the county. And then the state went from 1,330 positive patients to 1,335 positive patients, and deaths went from 24,174 to 24,389. And for our good news is we went from 1,717 discharged COVID patients to 1,743 discharged COVID patients. So we have been discharging quite a few patients even as we've gained more into the hospital. You know, I want to just ask you a little sidebar on that. I know a lot of people have heard that if you go on a vent, uh, you know, things are pretty rough and you've got a good chance of not coming off. But the vent itself is not what's what's killing people. It's once if you're on a vent, you need to be on a vent, right? Correct, and it's kind of interesting. We've seen kind of a a way when people get very sick, the course of treatment goes. So, if someone is going to get very sick, they usually have this trajectory where they are not well, and they slowly get worse, 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 and worse. It goes up, and then they start to get better. So when it goes up, you know, they may or may not be on a vent yet. They may be on um, higher liters of oxygen. They start to get better. It looks good. And then all of a sudden they get really bad again. And that's usually when they get on a vent. And then if they get through that, they either pass or they get better. So the vent has been able to sustain people through through very difficult times and have been able to get better. But usually it's it's a get bad, start to look better, get worse, and then you're better or die, depending on what happens. On uh, on a completely different note, 
because um, obviously that's that's a depressing note, but uh, I, I really wanted to ask you that. Um, I had somebody ask me who's fully vaccinated if it's wise to go get tested for COVID antibodies after they get vaccinated. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's not my thoughts. What I've, the physicians have said is that it is not advisable to get tested for the antibodies after you have gotten COVID vaccinated. So you, but you should have them, right, from the vaccination? Right. You should have them. Well, yes, you should have the antibodies, but normally one of the reasons you're getting tested for the antibodies is to find out if you had COVID and if you already developed antibodies. And so if you've had the COVID vaccine, you're going to have the antibodies, so there's no reason for you to get tested. Okay. Um, you know, we, we learn from history and things that have happened in the past in trying to relate um, a vaccine that most people are familiar with, and that's the polio vaccine. Do you know anything about, you know, the history of the polio vaccine and if it was widely embraced in the beginning and and was there a vigorous approval process? I know that was long before you were born, but do you, do you know <laughs> anything about that from your, your medical background? I don't, but I do know from the physicians, I went to the infection control doctors, and what they said was that the polio vaccine clinical trials and approval process was pretty similar to what we're going through now, and that at the time when they were going through those trials, uh, there was a big fear of the vaccine, just like there is now. But th because the what the risk when you got polio was was really paralysis or death, uh, most people could see that that there was enough um, fear of getting that that people felt the fear of the vaccine was less, and that the benefit of the vaccine was so much more than being able, been being um, willing to risk themselves getting polio. And so since they could visually see people in wheelchairs or people passing away, they were willing to get vaccinated. So it was a little bit easier to convince people to get the vaccines. So getting to more more recent issues, do you recall maybe during your career any vaccines that were approved under an emergency authorization similar to the way the COVID vaccines have been approved? Well, yes. In 2009, when we had the H1N1 swine flu pandemic, there was um, also the anticipation of MERS, Ebola, and, and Zika. All you know, those didn't happen, but we did have um, the emergency use authorization for the vaccines for the H1N1 swine flu. So we've heard a lot about the uh, fact that hopefully children will eventually be able to get these vaccines and. Obviously, that's, that might be a ways off and it might be an unfair question, but from what you've seen with other vaccines, will the dosage that a child gets be the same as an adult dose or will it be somewhat smaller? So right now, um, the, the doses that have been trialed for the 12 to 15-year-olds are the same as the current dose. Um, we don't know yet for the younger children, but normally medications are weight-based so usually kids that are 12 to 15 are pretty similar weights to um, adults, so that usually medications you can be the same dose, but under 12, they're usually, the weight is a lot different. So I wouldn't anticipate there may be a dosage change for those under the age of 12. So I need a double dose. I need to try and get a third <laughs> and a fourth. <laughs> um, 
Okay, now that the question that is on a lot of people's minds, if they've been reading the last few days, there are a lot of experts that don't think we're going to reach that herd immunity, maybe not ever, but definitely, well, not definitely, but in their thought, not nearly as soon as as they originally predicted. Why why might that uh, be the case? <laughs> well, because we have to reach 80% of the population to have immunities. And we all know that in terms of the vaccines, we're not anywhere near 80%. Um, you know, if we can get more people vaccinated, they're projecting that by the end of the summer, we could reach the 80%. Um, but we won't do that if people continue to not get vaccinated um, or not uh, actually get COVID. So everybody has to have some kind of antibodies, at least at 80% of the people, so that it's not, there's enough spread that the vaccine has no place to go. <laughs> I mean, that the virus has no place to go. It can't go into somebody that's already got immunity. So that's how you end up with a herd immunity. Back uh, about 13 months ago, early in this pandemic, there was this uh, push to get folks to wash their hands and sing the her happy birthday song while washing their hands to make sure they wash them thoroughly enough and use hand sanitizer and I've read that hand sanitizer sales are way down, and it appears that people may not be as vigilant as they were in the beginning. And a lot of that's because a lot of the uh, guidance has changed, and and more people feel that it's airborne than than via touch. Is there any new thought as to whether or not it's very um, contagious from touch, or is it still are we are we in the airborne uh, theory still? Well, um, we still think it's really important to do hand washing. And the reason for that is because we still think that you can spread it through your hands. Part of it is that, you know, um, what we learned is that COVID doesn't survive for a long time on surfaces, but your hands are near your face and your mouth all the time. And we touch our face, according to the experts, between 2,000 and 3,000 times a day, or at least three to five times a minute, <laughs> which if it's me, I know I do all the time. I'm always touching my eyes or my mouth, and that's where you get it on your hands, and then you can pass it on to others. So uh, washing your hands is not only good for preventing COVID, it's pre good for preventing the spread of any kind of disease. And so that's why in hospitals, people are always washing their hands long before we had COVID. They wash their hands before they go into a room. They wash their hands after they leave the room. It's it's very important to keep washing your hands, and I, I hope it becomes a habit always for everybody. And I've read uh, off and on the last few months about certain hand sanitizers that may not be safe, not that they don't sanitize your hands, but they might have some other dangerous chem chemicals in them. And one that I've read about in particular is benzene that a lot of these hand sanitizers contain, and, and some of them have been found to contain uh, higher than um, approved or allowed levels of benzene. Do you know anything about benzene and whether it might be not good for your health in, in high doses? So, yes, and it's kind of interesting. You know, all of a sudden everybody was making hand sanitizers and, and trying to monitor what went into those hand sanitizers. You had to make sure the hand sanitizer was effective enough for COVID, and then you want to make sure there's not anything else in there that could impact you negatively. And the benzes, benzenes can impact you negatively. The FDA released a list of hand sanitizers to avoid that contained the high level of benzenes, 
And um, what benzenes can do is potentially they can um, cause cancer. And we know we don't want people getting cancer. So please read your labels and make sure there's no benzenes in any hand hygiene you're using. Good advice. Um, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I, I don't know, but I read about it, so thank you. Uh, can you give us an update on uh, percentage of staff who are vaccinated? Are we still around that 72% range? We're exactly at the 72% range. Okay. Yes. So that's not changing much. And then can you give us uh, an update on how many individuals have either been fully vaccinated or those that are partially vaccinated via EE Health? Yes, so um, the total number of individuals receiving at least one dose of the vaccine is 51,888. The total number of individuals fully vaccinated are 40,329, and the total number of employees remains at 6,293. And, and many of your patients have probably been vaccinated elsewhere too, right? So a lot more right. patients of EE Health have been vaccinated, just not at, at your facility. You know, in, in terms of the number of our patients that have been vaccinated, I can't tell you how many that is, but I do know that we sent out over 250,000 um, to people that they could have an order for a vaccine, and we didn't get any more than these vaccinated by us, so we're assuming a lot of them went to other places because they couldn't wait till we could get them vaccinated. How are your uh, supplies this week? Well, our supplies are fine. The problem is we don't have as much demand on people wanting to be vaccinated. So um, on Wednesday, we will be uh, transitioning our um, to Pfizer vaccine at the Downers Grove location. And we're going to anticipate that we can have approval for vaccinating adolescents at that location as well. So now that adolescents can get vaccinated by Pfizer, we'll be able to do that at our Downers Grove location. And um, we will continue to do second-dose Moderna vaccines there until we are done with all the second doses. The Seven Bridges location is performing, has performed their last dose of first vaccines um, because we will be closing, and then they will com be completed their second-dose vaccines. And then when that is done, we will close the Seven Bridge location and only have vaccines at our Downers Grove site. So it, it sounds like you're going with Pfizer. Does that mean that you're not even pursuing Johnson & Johnson at this point? You know, that was an excellent question that I asked because I think there are people out there still that want the one-time shot. And so, yes, if we are able to get Johnson & Johnson, we will pursue it, and we can administer those at other locations because it's a one-time shot. The issue with the Pfizer and the Moderna is a two-time shot, and we have to have a process of making sure people come back in the right time frame. But the Johnson & Johnson will be able to give at probably our immediate cares. But the problem is that the state of Illinois has gotten very limited Johnson & Johnson supply, and we have gotten none. So as soon as we have an opportunity to get them, we want to be able to give those. And uh, my recollection is Johnson & Johnson doesn't require super cold storage, correct? Correct. So it's much easier in many ways, and so it'll be very helpful if we get access to that vaccine. So I asked you last week about something I had read about uh, some accolades the hospital had that were really impressive with IBM Watson, and now I'm reading this week there was another uh, um, accreditation or award given from Bullfrog or something like that. <laughs> Bullfrog. You're funny. It's called Leapfrog. 
And LeapFrog is an organization that you should probably be aware of. What they do is they accredit hospitals and, and health systems across the country for being safe for business employers. They work for they represent the business community for you to send your employees to to know it's a safe environment that they will get extra extra special care and safe care. And so um, this this actual award has been going on. I think it's been. Uh, they've had 27 times that they have given out awards. They launched this in 2012, and they give the awards out uh, in the fall and in the spring, so twice a year. And Elmhurst Hospital happens to have gotten an A, which is the highest rating in LeapFrog, all 27 times. So we are straight A's, a straight A student, straight A's in safety grades. Um, so the newest grades came out now for the spring, and we got an A again. And Elmhurst Hospital is one of only 27 hospitals in the country to get straight A's. And in Illinois, the only two other hospitals that, that have straight A's is OSF St. Mary Medical Center in Galesburg, Illinois, and University of Chicago Medical Center in uh, Chicago. And then Elmhurst. So we're very proud of the fact that we are straight A's. 27 straight, straight A's. That's an honor student if I've ever heard before of one. <laughs> One last question I want to ask you about. I haven't asked you about volunteers in a long time, and I know for a while the volunteers um, weren't working because of COVID, and I think they are again from what I heard. Is that true, and do you have any uh, needs for volunteers, and if so, what type? So, yes, the volunteers are back, and we are so happy they came back. And I think we had Volunteer Week a couple of weeks ago, and we were very excited to have them back in the organization. So we do need volunteers. Uh, we need greeters at our entrances. Those are volunteers. Uh, what they do is they give directions. They escort patients places. Um, they escort visitors. They uh, help with transporting patients by wheelchair if they need it. Um, we also need volunteers to do clerical work in the offices. And then we need volunteers that can deliver flowers or other things that vendors bring in um, to our departments and our guests. So um, we also have a job called guest assistants that are volunteers that work on the floors. And what they do is they stack supplies. They help um, bring patients down when they're being discharged or deliver water to the room. So there's a lot of varied activities volunteers can do, and they can have uh, varied hours. So it's a nice thing. You can do a couple hours. You can do a long day. Depending on what you want to do, you could do one day a week or three days a week. So if anybody's interested in being a volunteer, all they have to do is go to the website, www.eehealth.org forward slash ways dash to give to dash give forward slash volunteer forward slash and you'll get details of how to apply. So you don't need any volunteer brain surgeons, right? <laughs> Only for the surgery you're going to have. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> that was a good answer. Um, next week, I know you're not available, and you've got a stand-in, Dr. Derry. Look forward to that. I do. I'm very excited. And she is so honored to be able to speak to the community and to speak with you. Uh, Dr. Derry is our new chief medical officer who has joined the um has taken Dr. Sullivan's job as he was promoted to the system chief medical officer. And she was in, uh, on the 
working for the clinic here in the Family Birthing Center. She's an obstetrician by background, a very smart, smart lady. She was she worked in pharmaceuticals before she became a physician, and I think she is an excellent addition to our leadership group, and you'll be pleasantly impressed with her when you meet with her. Well, I look forward to that, and I look forward to talking to you again soon, and uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful couple of weeks, and I'll talk to you again soon. You too. Thank you. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.